Hi, everybody. I'm Alexa Von Tobel, and I'm your host for Inks the Founders Project. So what's the Founders Project? Well, it is a podcast where we take the absolute best founders, innovators, and inventive minds in the country, and we learn more about them. What makes them tick? How do they get out of bed in the morning? What is driving their everyday success and keeping them motivated through their failures? This week, we have an awesome guest, somebody I consider to be a friend. His name is Howie Liu. He is the co-founder and CEO of Airtable, a unicorn software company that blends a traditional spreadsheet with the database. And candidly, in my humble opinion, is totally changing the world. Um, Howie is a tech superstar. At just 20 years old, he founded eTax, which was acquired a year later by Salesforce. Uh, he then went in-house to Salesforce, leading the social CRM product before then founding Airtable. Airtable in 2013. So uh, how he spent the first few years over at Airtable really perfecting the product um, and then Surface. Today, they have a $1.1 billion valuation. Airtable is in the rarefied group of tech companies that has an insane growth trajectory. So I think we can learn a lot from Howie. So let's welcome Howie. Hi, Howie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, so Howie, I like so many things about you. Before we dive into all the things that make you so special, let's just start with the basics. Airtable has had truly a rocket ship trajectory so far. Um, for those who are just getting to know Airtable, in your own words as uh, the founder, what is Airtable? Yeah, so a lot of people think of us as you know a productivity tool or a spreadsheet replacement, um, and all of those things are true. But I think the real founding uh, vision for Airtable was really even broader to to take software, which you know we think is this medium that um, is yet inaccessible to uh, to the broader uh, population of the world, and you know is is so powerful in terms of its potential for economic value creation and creative expression. You know, obviously, if you can create software, you're able to tap into this you know massive ecosystem of value, um, as we all know. You know, today, uh, and yet most people aren't able to tap into that. So, you know, really the goal for Airtable is to do for software creation uh, what Apple or Microsoft did for personal computing and to just, you know, through many different um, progressions of our product and our business, bring that experience to the broader world. So, Howie, um, give us just a quick overview. 2013, you founded Airtable. What did you do for the next few years? And what was really the aha moment when you kind of finally said, okay, I know what this company is? Airtable was was truly a company that started with a vision and mission first, and then kind of built a product and business um, to support it, as opposed to the other way around. And I, I think you can do both. Um, Twitter, obviously, being an example of a company that probably started as more of a literal hack project, you know, and then kind of built uh, an incredible business and now like incredible mission and vision after the fact. So, you know, I think for us, it was, you know, it was more of, you know, this uh, early phase being about you know, thinking through what kind of company we wanted to build, what kind of culture we wanted to build, and also importantly, what kind of lasting impact um, and positive impact we did we want to create for the world. And, you know, I think in thinking through, you know, all of the, you know, kind of the, the different business opportunities that we could work on that had this immense scale and, and positive potential influence on, on the world, um, you know, we pretty quickly gravitated towards you know, our love of software as this this medium and um, our desire to create a platform that really empowered human creativity and, and kind of put Lego kits in front of more people as opposed to, you know, kind of a, a type of company that would replace people um, through automation or, or so on. What was the moment, Howie, when you were like, the product is ready, I'm ready to open it up to true external customers in charge? Like, what was yeah. that bar in your head? 
Well, you know, probably, um, probably too late. Uh, you know, we spent uh, almost three years building uh, the product before launching publicly. And I think it's always this, you know, question that you're grappling with when you're when you're building a product and before you've actually launched it, you know, is this too raw, too early to be useful to the world? Or should we just get it out there and start getting early feedback? And I don't think there's one right answer. And certainly we debated we could have launched, you know, probably months, if not, um, you know, a year earlier than we did, we also probably could have waited many more months and built more potentially useful things. So, you know, there wasn't a single aha moment where we knew it was time to launch. But I think it was more that the, uh, you know, the, the trend lines of, you know, feeling more and more anxiety from not having uh, shipped something and, and gotten kind of external validation, you know, kind of crossed the other trend line of, of uh, you know, time. I hear you. And essentially, because so many different things could, you could always have been building features um, and you're such a product, uh, th- your bar is so high for it. Um, well, I'm, I'm grateful that you you let the rest of us uh, access it. So thanks, thanks yeah. for like, getting it out there. Um, so in your own head, so right now, Airtable, there's really no one customer type, right? As a venture fund inspired capital, we use Airtable. Um, as a planner uh, of many different things, I use Airtable for uh, different projects we're working on. I have friends who use it for wedding planning. You're used by Netflix, Airbnb, WeWork. It really doesn't stop. Um, but when you think about it, um, I think Airtable has the ability to grow, go across so many verticals. So I guess my question would be, um, how do you approach building a product when you're serving so many different types of customers? Like, what's the philosophy? How do you guys do that internally? Yeah, well, very carefully is the the short answer. I think, you know, it really comes down to trying to distill the, the needs of the individual. Um, so, you know, we have so many different types of customers. Each one, you know, um, has uh, verbatim feature requests um, or functionality requests uh, that if you interpreted very literally and kind of built, you know, for a cattle farmer, a custom right-click menu option for livestock, you know, and then separately for a wedding planner, a custom seating chart built into the product itself, you know, you'd end up with this crazy kind of a gargantuan monolith of, of functionality that um, that would just be super cluttered and, and 99% of it you wouldn't need and use. And so I think a lot of the elegance of, of um, designing a great platform, you know, is about understanding what is the meta problem? What is the problem underneath the problem that each person is trying to solve for? And, and then trying to come up with these features that uh, act more like building blocks, like a Lego kit, um, rather than, you know, kind of specifically manufacturing uh, the direct answer to somebody's needs, giving them the Lego pieces and the agency to build um, through more uh, composable and universal pieces uh, what they want. Give us an example of like one or two things just for people who are listening who maybe haven't seen Airtable because it's essentially a beautiful, beautiful macro spreadsheet that then allows you to do pretty much anything. That's what the software is. Um, So give people an example of like one or two features that you released that made it into the feature because it was applicable to enough people. Yeah. About a year ago, we launched... um something that we call blocks. And blocks are basically these extensions or, or applications that live on top of your Airtable databases and add you know, superpowers to that database. So you know, for instance, we have one that uh, allows you to send text uh, through the Twilio API um, directly within Airtable, right? Another one that actually allows you to visualize your content. So if you're an interior designer and you have um, rows that represent different items, objects that you place into your uh, your spaces, um, you can actually 
literally see them in 3D in this um, physical space and even use um, kind of a VR uh, headset to walk through a space that represents these records. Um, so we have all these kind of powerful add-ons. And I think, you know, kind of the, the meta feature that we built was really, instead of saying, oh, this interior designer needs, you know, the ability to visualize uh, those objects and building that as a completely one-off kind of hard-coded feature in the main product, um, creating this abstraction of, you know, kind of these apps, these blocks that are composable and kind of, um, you know, are discoverable so that, you know, you can find the the functionality that you need and add it to your, your Airtable instance, as opposed to just having everything there and in your face by default. I think that's, you know, one of the most powerful, you know, kind of features that, that we've built. That's probably just to give people, again, who like maybe haven't sat in front of Airtable with their own two eyes. One of my favorite things is you can drop decks into Airtable. I mean, it really, just the fact that you can see these visuals um, is so helpful. Um, Howie, give us one of the quirkiest uh, kind of users that like, you know, you mentioned a cattle farmer. Um, I personally know hedge funds, private equity funds, entrepreneurs. I mentioned wedding planners, but give me one of the quirkier kind of where you found yourself delighted because you were like, wow, I can't believe Airtable is being used for that. What was that example? Yeah. Well, you know, as a, as a puppy parent, you know, this one is, is very near and dear to my heart. So there's a group that actually goes around host uh, disasters. Um, and I think this one was specifically focused around the, um, the hurricane that hit Texas, among other places. But they would go around and actually, you know, helps uh, save the pets that were stranded behind in, uh, in different homes as the owners had you know, been forced to evacuate without, you know, being able to go back and, and get the pets. And so they actually kind of used Airtable to uh, manage um, a lot of the locations and dispatch, you know, kind of rescuers to these areas where, you know, there were stranded pets and, and hopefully um, got to save many, um, you know, many pets lives um, in these uh, disasters. That's amazing. Um, and wow, what a good use case. Uh, Howie, quick question. So basically, at this mm-hmm. point, you guys have this massive valuation, but you have a pretty small team. Um, and I know I've interviewed you before about your philosophy on culture and you care deeply about it. Um, just give us a sense of how big is your team today? Kind of what does it look like? And then also, um, what's your hiring playbook? So tell us a sense of, you know, how many people are on this team supporting this massively fast growing software company? Um, and then how are you thinking about evolving over time? Yeah, so we're approaching 100 people full time. And and I think that, um, you know, one of our philosophies is to try to empower each person to be as productive as possible and uh, impactful as possible. And, you know, I think in, in a software world, I mean, there are so many different ways that you can scale your impact without having to necessarily just hire a thousand people and, you know, kind of uh, fill the room with with more cooks. Um, you know, obviously, they're, they're kind of famous examples of companies like WhatsApp that created, you know, arguably $20 billion worth of value with dozens of people, right? Or even Instagram, which I think had like 13 people at the time they were acquired by Facebook and now uh, clearly like one of the best acquisitions of all time and, and very much worth the price and, and then some. So, you know, I think we recognize that we work in this creative industry where, you know, a lot of the value created by any person um, within our company, whether they're uh, engineering or marketing or sales or any other role is not linear, um, you know, by headcount. And actually, you can create this this very open-ended amount of value um, with a smaller team if you have the right, you know, kind of context and framework and, and kind of culture. And I think, you know, we we certainly want to, you know, kind of preserve that that DNA as we scale so that we always have this emphasis on, you know, kind of doing um, as much as we can, you know, with each person that we have on our team. 
Also, one of the things I do love is you are so preciously thoughtful when it comes to the talent that you add, the culture that you want to cultivate. Um, what would you say really kind of from a cultural perspective, if you had to use a few words, like what are the kind of cultural values that people at Airtable um, that you, you guys are really uh, aspiring towards? Yeah, I think there's definitely this element of intellectual curiosity. I think, um, you know, there are some companies where you've kind of figured out like everything there is to figure out, right? And you just have this, you know, kind of straight track that you need to run down faster and faster. And, you know, maybe that's like scaling uh, on demand shared economy business um, to more regional areas. I think for us, it's much more of like this completely open ended green field that only gets bigger and bigger. And so, you know, I think part of the, um, the challenge is, you know, having the, uh, you know, the imaginative capacity to, to think about all the things we could be doing, and then obviously prioritizing between them. So the sense of intellectual curiosity and open ended thinking is a, a very, very important part of our DNA. I think there's also this this element of collaboration. And a lot of companies say that, but I think in practice, it really comes down to how do you actually operationalize that, especially as you you scale up? And I think it's still something that we're figuring out, you know, how do we actually, you know, create the different dynamic that's needed to make our company very collaborative, cross-functional, um, et cetera, at, you know, 100, now 200, now, you know, 500 people, um, which looks very different at, at each stage, but something that we're, we're very intentional intent on doing. Um, Howie, is there a favorite interview question that you have where when you're, you know, kind of the the final pass on somebody that you would just really feel like tells you what you need to know, what would that question be? Yeah, well, one of my favorite questions is, you know, because we, we look for people who are constant learners. And um, obviously, you know, experience is super helpful and uh, allows you to sometimes avoid reinventing the wheel. But also we want everyone, no matter how experienced, no matter how senior they are, to be a constant learner. So the, the question I really love is, you know, basically, if you were you know competing for a job against the, you know, three-year-old uh, or, or three years, um, you know, kind of back version of yourself, what what merits would you argue for uh, in terms of now you versus past you, right? And so, you know, basically the, the question is, um, you know, about self-awareness for one. So knowing how and where you've, you've, uh, you've grown over the past few years, and then also looking for you know, kind of people who are very uh, deliberate about personal growth and, you know, who have explicitly sought out mentors or charted out, uh, you know, kind of a, a structured, you know, kind of curriculum for themselves to, to continue learning and, and uh, you know, bettering themselves. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's definitely something that um, always gets interesting answers. And, uh, and so I, I really like asking. I would say, Howie, self-awareness is a really big one for me, um, you know, in my days at LearnVest and now Inspired Capital. Definitely, I really appreciate when people can tell me their weaknesses, um, why they are weak at them, whether or not they think they can outgrow them. And it's actually less about the fact that people have flaws. We are all super flawed. I'm flawed. Um, but I care more about the self-awareness. And um, totally. I, I love that you do too. Why do you think self-awareness matters so much? If we are looking to constantly evolve our understanding of you know, both our company, um, as well as the opportunity and, and, uh, you know, for every functional role in the company, the strategy is going to change. Um, and certainly, you know, over not just the next year, but like over the next decades, um, because we're, we're very much long-term oriented. And so I think self-awareness is the necessary precursor to then being able to, you know, kind of, uh, improve in the areas that are, uh, most important to improving. And, you know, because it's, it's sort of like, we're all playing, 
a game where the rules are evolving over time. You know, only if you're self-aware about, you know, what you're good at, what you're not good at, where you need to level up to play this new game, um, can you keep up? So there is no such thing as, you know, in an eternally perfect hire who can come in and already has the skill set to play, you know, the role they need to both today and also 10 years and 20 years from now. So um, I think it's really just about, you know, where, where you can invest your own kind of focus and energy into, uh, into self-improvement. Um, I agree. And I would add, I think, just the like humility element of uh, if you're self-aware enough to know that you're bad at some things, it means that you've gone through many of your own incidents of humility. For sure. Um, And I think that humility just makes us better teammates, better listeners, better growers, um, better all all around humans, um, which is a nice thing. And I think we all want to work with those people. Um, So, Howie, just important point. So um, you actually sold your first company, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a year in. I, if you look back at that, so you're 30 today, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. If you look back at that, I mean, it's just so amazing uh, to have an exit under your belt so early. Um, what do you think you learned from selling your company? Anything like what, what would be the one or two biggest things you kind of walked away being like, wow, this in retrospect was the biggest thing that you actually took away from it? You know, it was uh, quite a while ago. And I think I've grown a lot since then, you know, whether through the acquisition or, or even kind of afterwards. I think um, there are probably two key things that you know I took away from the acquisition. One was this strong desire to build something permanent, to build something enduring, and also to build something where we had enough patience and also the luxury of time to be able to uh, to really think about long term strategy, long term opportunities, and you know, um, and that was very much in contrast to this first company where you know, it was on a completely different timescale. I mean, from start to finish, we were around for exactly a year, um, which was, you know, less than a third the time or roughly the third, uh, a third the time that we even spent prior to launching the product for Airtable. Um, You know, we, for that company, built our MVP prototype that we launched to the world in 10 weeks, I think. And, you know, through the Y Combinator program, had uh, gone out and, you know, gotten some press and, and raised some funding. And, you know, every step of the way, we were just trying to figure out how to, you know, sort of hack it to get to the next, um, next stage. And we never really had the the time or ability to kind of step back and and look at a 30,000 foot view and say, you know, yeah, we have to figure out how to get, you know, from one foot to two feet. But, um, but we also want to know where we're going, like what direction are we headed in the long run if we are successful? So I think that the first and foremost is, you know, I think this, the strong desire to kind of uh, build a company with a different type of DNA and timescale of at least strategic planning, you know, and then I think the second was really just the importance of thinking about, you know, the the things that get you from uh, zero to one, one to 10 and, and 10 to 100, uh, which sounds super abstract, but I think in practice, you know, as, as kind of a corollary to the fact that we were always so short term focused, we never really got to think about you know, what is the long-term culture that we want to build as a company? Because ultimately, I think, you know, once you're thousands of people large, um, you know, culture is one of the governing forces of how successful you are from from that stage onwards, right? You know, no longer can Amen. any one person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, no, no longer can any one person like a CEO or founder, etc., um, you know, actually themselves through any kind of superhuman heroics, you know, and certainly not through through human heroics kind of drive the success of the, the, the company um, by any significant amount, right? Um, you know, obviously, they, they play an important role. But, um, but I think it really becomes a function of, 
you know, this incredible organization of incredible individuals working together with shared values and principles that drives the, the bulk of the value. So being able to really think through um, and, and talk to advisors, mentors about, you know, what does it take to lay the foundation from day one to get to that later point? Because I think in some sense, you do have to start building the right dynamic and the right investment into that early on, you know, versus trying to retrofit it after it's too late. Yep, totally follow. Um, and one of the things I love that you've said very publicly is that you are not interested in an acquisition for Airtable um, because you believe it has a much longer uh, time horizon. Um, tell us yep. a little bit of your quick thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think for one, if you're constantly making this pragmatic as opposed to philosophical decision, um, you know, as to whether you should stay independent or, or get acquired, in some sense, it almost dulls the extreme optimism and excitement uh, that I think is is ultimately what drives um, the the success of really, really enduring and impactful companies. Um, you know, so constantly, if you're, you know, entertaining offers, you're saying, well, like, you know, this amount of money isn't quite enough, but like this other amount would and, and, uh, you know, what's the real expected value of a company with all the risk priced in, I think it just kind of, um, I mean, it, it sucks up a lot of brain capacity. Um, and, uh, and actually kind of, uh, steals away from building that that long-term successful company. Um, I think separately, I think rationally, we just believe that the opportunity that we're we're trying to uh, deliver on to the world is so profoundly large that there is no market premium that would uh, would ever incorporate the magnitude of the opportunity. And I think everybody has their own you know kind of rational assessment of the expected value of any stock and and certainly of a private high growth company stock like like Airtables and i think that we rationally believe that you know we have the real opportunity to build this you know apple or microsoft sized company and you know and so there there's just no reason why we would even think about you know taking an acquisition because it would you know totally sh- sell us uh, short so, Howie, I'm going to shift over just to a few questions on you. Sure. Um, what I would love to just get a sense of for everybody listening, just like a little bit of your background. Where did you grow up? Uh, who are you? Uh, you know, who were you as a five-year-old, as a 15-year-old? <laughs> so I grew up in College Station, Texas, which is um, a fairly small town, you know, I think, um, along with its uh, twin sister city, Bryan, probably 140,000 people um, in my town. You know, basically had one public high school uh, that I went to. It was a great place to grow up, I think. You know, had a lot of you know time during the summers um, to read. My parents and especially my mom were were super helpful in, in kind of facilitating my you know both uh, arts and, and cultural interests and, and development, as well as um, kind of the quantitative and, and kind of math and, and writing type stuff. Um, I think as a five year old, I was definitely pretty precocious and you know always kind of very energetic. So I think my my teachers probably you know would would sometimes uh, have their hands full with just you know how much energy I had, and uh, you know I would always be sometimes literally running around the room um, or running around outside, uh, even when everybody else was kind of uh, sitting still. I think I just, you know, I had this big appetite for an imagination for uh, all kinds of things. I mean, I remember, you know, one of my favorite projects growing up was, um, you know, in uh, probably like second or third grade, um, you know, uh, making, going super deep into dinosaurs and also insects and just like learning everything I could about each of those two, two topics and like memorizing all the, the names and, and, uh, making like in uh, hypercard, the software product, kind of like a PowerPoint, um, presentations about them. And so, you know, definitely tinkered around a lot, um, <laughs> as a kid. And, uh, you know, I think it was very, very fortunate to, um, you know, to have the opportunity, uh, to do that. So 
if it's Sunday night and you're, you know, leaning into a big week at Airtable and you're not stressed, you're like super excited. Something is happening in the week where you're actually just like feeling pretty alive. What's going on at yeah. Airtable? Give me an example of what what triggers that juice in you. I can honestly say that pretty much every Sunday night I feel a sense of like kind of positive energy and and optimism going into the week. And that's not to say that everything's always perfect and rosy. Like there's always going to be a million fires uh, (laughs) at at every high growth company. You're scaling a company at this unnatural pace. You're trying to fix. I mean, Reed Hoffman has this um, analogy in his book, uh, Blitzscaling, where it's, you know, he says like, it's like you're you're jumping off a cliff and hoping to assemble an airplane, you know, on your way down. Um, The um, alternate metaphor that I prefer, especially because we've gotten to this point as a business where we're kind of default alive as opposed to default dead, which means by default, we're a profitable and high growth business, um, as opposed to one that's going to run out of money and and go bankrupt. Um, But you know, it's still like, kind of fixing this airplane or upgrading this airplane while in mid flight, right? So you never get to kind of stop and land, you know, and and, uh, and disassemble the entire plane and say, okay, we're just going to stop taking customers, stop hiring people, and like figure out everything before we resume. Um, you don't get that luxury. But but I think that what what gets me really positively excited about every week and um, and energizes me is you know first and foremost um, coming in and, and working with uh, incredible people who uh, really do kind of. Um, you know, each add to the culture and, and to the energy of the company, um, you know, as opposed to just fitting in. And, and I think there's a sense of, um, you know, in the early days of a, a startup, you know, you're, you're building some kind of product. And, you know, that's the creation that you're most proud of, or that you spend the most time on. Maybe later on, you start working on building a business, right, an actual business model. Um, and eventually, the, the most important thing is to build this organization. And I feel like right now, um, because we have shifted definitely into this world where, you know, certainly we still have a long way to go on the product and the business side of things. Um, but you know, it's, it's kind of exciting and it's, it's dynamic in a way that the other two aren't, I would argue to build the organization and people are incredible to, to work with as opposed to like just code or, or, uh, or dollars. Right. And, and so I think, you know, it's really about the sense of, you know, getting one plus one equals three from, from the team that, um, we've created and, you know, seeing how um, these working uh, and also personal, you know, kind of collaboration relationships have, have uh, you know, flourished over time and will continue to flourish as, as we add more people to the team. I love that. Um, so you've even said on this interview today that, you know, you can see clearly in your head um, as as the founder, the vision of this really could be the next Microsoft or Apple um, $100 billion plus revenue opportunity. And if you kind of step back, so, you know, all great founders have a vision in their head, right? There's some sort of like picture that you maybe can articulate perfectly. I was never that brilliant. Um, uh, but it, there's something that you can just see. And if you kind of look ahead a decade, um, like what's the wildest dream? What's in your head of Airtable a decade out? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it is really about being maybe the the pioneering company that um, that focuses on human empowerment, especially in an era where I think many of the other companies that are being founded today are often focused on, you know, kind of how do we replace human workers um, in many different fields with automation, AI, robotics, et cetera. Um, And so it kind of feels like there's these two macro trend lines that are competing. Um, And one is, you know, kind of leaving 
more and more human, uh, you know, kind of creativity and, and uh, agency uh, out of the picture. And we're very much, you know, kind of, um, you know, trying to do the opposite. And so, you know, 10 years out, I think the characteristics of, of that, like, kind of utopian image in my mind um, that, you know, we hope to have created uh, have less to do with, like, the product and the technology or even, like, the business um, and, like, how much money we're making, uh, which hopefully will all be, like, you know, kind of we'll make good progress on all of those things. But I think it's more about being this company that, you know, people look at as um, as something that really has created this new economy for a, a much broader audience of people to participate in and to really feel empowered by technology. Um, you know, that can manifest in so many different ways. And we have uh, many different ideas in terms of the specific products that we'll build to, to kind of um, drive forward that vision. Um, but, uh, but I think it, it's more of the emotional aspect that, um, that I like to think about. For those of you who have never met Howie in person, I have had the pleasure of getting to call him a friend. And one thing that I love about Howie is he is a very peaceful person when you meet him in person. Um, and you get a sense that, um, you know, there's this like ferocious tiger underneath. Um, but he's incredibly peaceful on the surface. Howie, give everybody your example of kind of the the like you, you don't love when people use um, like let's crush it and break that yeah. and um but you have this other kind of view and can you just articulate that because it struck it really struck and stuck with me um when you did it and I loved it and it just is so who you are so tell everybody your philosophy totally. yeah well and I have to say Alexa um you know I, I think you're an extremely positive you know so uh determined yet optimistic person that you know I just I, I love that you know, energy that you always bring to the room. And, uh, and I think it's so important, you know, to try to surround um, yourself with people, you know, from my standpoint, you know, surround yourself with people who, um, who bring that to the table, as opposed to, you know, I, I think it's very easy in today's world to be very cynical and, and uh, pessimistic and, and so on. So, thank you, know, you Howie. Uh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Um, maybe we should invert the, the question um, for, <laughs> for you. But, um, you know, I think the 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 thing that I like to avoid is using these sort of wartime metaphors. And part of that is because I think it's, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint, you know, wars are kind of zero sum games by by definition, right? I mean, like, you know, to win, you have to beat somebody else. Um, for, for you to succeed, somebody else has to suffer. Um, you know, and, and I think that's just like a really terrible way of looking at the world in general. But then also like very you know, very much not the right mental model for many types of companies where, you know, there really is a green field of, of new value creation that's possible. And I think you can always turn things into a fight or, or uh, turn things into a zero sum game and be purely competition focused if you want to be. But you can also in certain uh, markets and opportunities, I think you don't have to do that. And you can be much more focused on, you know, kind of going into the green field. Now, I think in, in, in on balance, like there is going to be competition for Airtable at some point. But even when there is, we're not going to be, you know, kind of heavily centered on this like crush or kill or, you know, or beating other people, you know, purely mentality. Um, and instead, you know, I like to think of ourselves as trying to plant as many seeds, um, you know, like a farmer, um, just a very, very um, ambitious farmer who's going out and trying to plant lots of beautiful, you know, wildflowers and, and crops and so on into this ever expanding green field as quickly as possible. And so that we can, you know, then go in and harvest um, some nice flowers or, or fruits or, or whatnot, um, you know, down the road. So uh, definitely appreciate the, the farmer mentality much more than the, uh, the, the wartime 
fours. Um, every time I hear you say it, Howie, I smile. It makes me so happy. I'm like, we just need more farmers on the planet. You know, I, one, <laughs> I, I have one recommendation for, for people listening, which is, um, you know, it's actually really, uh, I find it oddly soothing to read uh, Modern Farmer. I haven't read it in a while, but, um, but I used to get the paper, you know, physical printed copy of, of, a, of a magazine. And, and it's just so delightful. You read through it and like, it's such a nice contrast to, the millions of tech blogs talking about how one company is going to beat the other and, and so on. And then, you know, here's this magazine that, you know, the cover photo is like a goat and it's like the goat issue. And, you know, here's all the different types of goats and um, the personalities. <laughs> here's like uh, a couple who's a farmer in Nebraska and they've like pioneered this new way of like organically, uh, you know, kind of doing something, you know, making soap or something. Um, it's just really, really, um, I think, peaceful and relaxing. And yet, completely ambitious too, because um, as it turns out, you know, I think being a farmer is not easy by any means. It's, it takes hard work and also uh, a lot of ingenuity, um, especially to compete with um, these much larger factory farms these days. So if you ever want a new magazine to, to read, um, can't recommend that one more. Howie, we are like all cracking up so much right now because I just, that is such an interesting left turn there. You're like, guys, if you ever need to read something, pick up the magazine Modern <laughs> Farmer, which I love that you've picked that up before. Like, guys, Howie, you're hearing it here first, so many tricks up his sleeve, but that is not one I would have expected. I love it. <laughs> um, Howie, question for you. So like, Again, young entrepreneur, incredibly big vision, beautiful dreams. Um, You love to pay it forward. It's just a bit of your DNA. If you were going to go meet an entrepreneur today who's 22 and you wanted to give them like one piece of advice um, from your toolkit and and your ability, um, uh, you know, of of looking back, what would you say to that entrepreneur? What's like your biggest piece of advice? You know, this sounds super cheesy, but I think you just have to believe in yourself. And I think I heard that advice um, before when, when I was starting out. And like, you know, it often just felt like very uh, abstract or, or cheesy. But I really do think there are so many great uh, potential entrepreneurs. There are all these hoops and hurdles that you have to jump through. And certainly, you know, in my first time around, I think, you know, financial hurdles were uh, were significant to me you know, because I couldn't afford to, to fail, um, literally, um, you know, and so I think there's just all these, these, um, these challenges to, to building something and creating something anew. And it's, it's tough and you have to learn all these things along the way. But I really think that it becomes kind of easier as you go along. I mean, certainly like companies become more complicated as they, they become bigger, but I think you, you kind of get into the rhythm of, you know, kind of, uh, learning how to do, um, new things as, as part of the job that you're, you know, constantly evolving. And, and I think that if more people just kind of were a little bit more reverent to some of the naysayers, um, you know, we had so much, um, uh, so many rational reasons not to do Airtable the way that we did it. And, you know, early on investors, uh, most investors, especially in the early stage, um, you know, kind of asked us or, or told us, um, you know, not to, to uh, build a horizontal platform that could serve all these different customer needs. They would always say, like, you know, that's just never going to work. Like, you should go and, and build, like, one kind of more niche um you know, kind of product, um, at least initially. Um, and, uh, you know, honestly, if we had done that, we probably would have a much less exciting business today and certainly wouldn't have this platform opportunity, et cetera. And so I think a lot of it is, you know, knowing when to trust your instincts and then, you know, when, when appropriate, like kind of, um, you know, just persevering and, and, uh, and really believing in, in yourself and, and not, um, getting swayed, you know, zigging and zagging, um, according to the, the winds of every single, you know, external person's, uh, you know, kind of, 
uh, feedback or, or um, advice. Um, I love it. Um, Howie, we're going to end on a quick fire round of just a few quick questions. If you had to describe yourself in one word, what would it be? I, you know, this will sound maybe narcissistic, but creative, because I think, you know, if, if there's a value that I want to ascribe to, I think it's it's really being a little bit out of the box. I love it. Um, and I think that strikes as true. Um, if you had to, like, what gets you out of the bed in the morning? What's what what gets you literally jumping out of bed? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, getting a solid, you know, six plus hours of sleep, <laughs> um, hopefully seven or eight. I, I sleep a lot, you know, and I think it's really important. I, I hope to uh, always uh, enable everyone in Airtable, um, you know, to be able to sleep, you know, enough to, to feel fully rested and, and empowered. Um, but I think it's really, you know, it, it goes back to the, the team and the people, um, as we talked about before. Um, I love that. Also, I know you're like the parent to a puppy, but I can't wait till you have a child because the, the sleeping, <laughs> the sleeping becomes more of a a, a real dream. Right, uh, right, right. Um, push, push, not pull. Ex- uh, waking up. <laughs> exactly, Howie. Uh, what's one of your favorite hobbies? I like going for walks and and drives. I mean, I just like getting out and in the Bay Area. Uh, has so many beautiful, you know, kind of outdoors places to explore, whether it's the beach or or the woods. Um, so really love just kind of going out and getting out of the city, out of uh, out of the house or office. Um, last two questions. Um, what uh, other than Airtable, what's one cool innovation that you're just fascinated by right now? There's some really interesting stuff going on in the robotics space. I am kind of philosophically concerned or nervous about its implications for, you know, for, for a lot of the livelihoods of, of people that currently work in jobs that could be displaced by robotics. Um, but I think that there are some really, really interesting developments in terms of what physical robots can do. Um, so it's, it's more that I'm, I would say, uh, kind of like morbidly intrigued um, by the space and the development there. That's amazing. Um, last question, uh, other than Airtable, what's one startup that you think we should all know about or one app or one thing that you've downloaded that you're, you're kind of pumped by? This was kind of obvious, but I am so impressed by Stripe as a company. Um, I just think that they, you know, they've really built not just a, a great product and a great business and, and multiple products at this point, but also this organizational capacity to innovate and to, you know, to really take their company from where they are today, which is already very, very successful, to unbounded heights. So I would say that uh, they're one that that I um, I really admire uh, organizationally and culturally. Uh, I totally agree with you. And also such kind and wonderful founders, both of them. Absolutely. Um, so, Howie, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to learn more about Airtable, check out Airtable.com. And join us next week on the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. And most importantly, thank you so much, Howie. We absolutely loved having you. Thank you for having me, Alexa. Good luck with everything. We're rooting you on. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like today's show, please rate and review wherever you get your best podcasts.